Welcome to Speak the Truth, a podcast devoted to giving biblical truth for educating, equipping, and encouraging the individual and local church in counseling and discipleship. Hello, hello, hello. We are back again. Second part to the counseling and the church. Uh, This episode, we are going to be focusing on cultivating counseling methods. Shauna, how you doing? Good. Jeremy? Doing fantastic. Thank you. Doing fantastic. Mm. All right. So in this episode, we wanted to focus on the counseling methods. Uh, Last episode, we talked uh, about not feeling the church feeling adequate enough, uh, referring people out to other counseling organizations, secular Christian counselors, what have you. Uh, But not feeling comfortable having these things in the local church. We obviously uh, want to do something about that. Jeremy wrote a chapter, chapter 12 specifically uh, confronting that. And so now we want to talk on uh, just cultivating those counseling methods. Well, this is actually chapter 13. Yeah. So last chapter, chapter 12, this chapter is 13. So um, this time we are going to be focusing on the skills. So we'll have a little more how to in this episode. So um, Shauna. So sit down, get your notebooks out. Let's take some notes, right? All right. You got some. You telling them a heads up, take some notes. Yeah. So you got some, some information to give them. No, I I think, I think this is going to be a valuable episode because, you know, oftentimes not just the counselor, but discipleship, you know, you're in the mode or you're in that moment not mode. So moment with the person and they just hopefully opened up and just shared a lot with you. And so then you're like now in this role as I'm listening and asking questions and really just being there for them, what can I do that would then be helpful? Mm -hmm. And so I think this will be valuable in a way that hopefully we'll be able to give tools and encouragement to those that you being present is already a great step. I mean, the fact that they, if they, if any, if you're ever in a moment where someone has really shared what's going on, it's very sweet, like to be the person person that someone trusts immediately to do that. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's a praise right there. So in that moment, just praying to the Lord saying, Lord, thank you for this sweet moment that this woman or, or for the guys that this guy has opened up and shared what's going on and has, has finally released. And I think that in itself, like me being actually the one being counseled at times, I know oftentimes for me to be able to say things out loud that my mind has wrestled with, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. when you're talking to yourself and your yeah. mind the whole time, man, it can go in so many different directions. So to have a safe place to then be able to communicate it vocally, that's very freeing in itself. But then also as I'm sharing that thought, the Lord can reveal to me already immediately. Mm-hmm. So that to me, having experienced that as the one being counseled has made it very freeing as the counselor, because you realize that there's fruit in just having that culture of allowing the communication to happen. Do you know yes. what I mean? Yes. But then Jeremy, I love how you in this chapter, you know, talk about about Christian counselors as farmers and stuff. So I think that'd be great if you could expound on that thought. Sure. So when we're sitting with people, we actually bring access to various identities that we can draw from, such as, you know, in that moment, I'm an ambassador of a greater kingdom, uh, that that moment's not ultimately just about that moment and the two people sitting there or the family and I sitting there. I am, who am I in that moment? In one regard, I'm, I'm an ambassador of a greater kingdom or I'm an instrument of God's grace mm-hmm. and I need to recognize and, and flow out of that reality that um, I'm an instrument in someone else's hands and uh, the Holy Spirit is committed to working through me if I'm seeking to give biblical care to another person. But one that I really hone in on in this chapter particularly is the fact that I am a ultimately a farmer in that moment. Yeah. 
I think somewhere in the opening paragraphs, I used the word uh, or I used the phrase that biblical counseling is a process of learned dependency. Mm -hmm. And I get that out of uh, Galatians chapter six, verses seven and nine, where Paul encourages us with this. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from his the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the spirit will reap from the spirit eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And that's a that's a very powerful place for me to land as far as who am I in this moment to recognize that uh, I, I'm a farmer who is dependent upon a holy God to bring about whatever harvest he's going to choose through this time that I'm spending with another person. Because as a counselor, you can often feel like you have to fix the problem. Uh, you can also you can often succumb to discouragement if you're not seeing a change occur. This, this passage just reminds us, what's my ultimate job as a counselor? My ultimate job is to make sure I'm not sowing to the flesh, mm-hmm. make sure that this isn't about my agenda or, or me, but it's, mm-hmm. it's about God. And so I'm called to sow to the spirit, sow the seeds of truth as best I can into this conversation. And then my job is to wait patiently upon the Lord mm. uh, for the harvest that he chooses to bring and the time frame that he chooses to bring that harvest. Yeah, that's good. The timing, because we always want things to be solved right away. So being reminded of the timing of that is really good. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's one of the, uh, excuse me, the distinctives you make in this particular chapter where when we focus on the, our skills and abilities to do things, you know, we oftentimes look for, okay, this skill should produce this in this particular time frame. Yes. Well, as farmers that's putting it that way, no, because I'm not the one that's actually bringing the growth. Yeah. But if I'm sowing these things, God will work that in me because that's what God's word says will happen. That's correct. It's not a formula. It's a promise. Mm-hmm. So it's good. good. Well, often think, you know, when, when I guess when you think of like the actual analogy of the farming, you know, if you're doing the work of the harvest, you know, oh, I'm, I planted it, you know, I'm on the tractor. I'm the one that's watering it and uh, given it's, it's what's it called? It's fertilized or protein or whatever it is, you mm-hmm. know? And so you, you, again, you can think that I've done all this, but in reality, like God created the seed in the first place, like God created mm-hmm. this whole process, all the means for you to put it in the land and yeah. the tool to do the watering, but it's his result. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And so I think that's, you know, to stay connected and remember that I think that's really good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think it's important, you know, this can be a very abstract concept sowing to the spirit. So I think it's helpful to maybe talk about some things that we can actually sow into the process of, of biblical counseling and something I want to encourage listeners our listeners with, especially if you don't feel you're a seasoned, trained counselor, because you have the Holy Spirit residing within you, you have something that you bring to the table of counseling uh, that the greatest scholar in psychology does not have who is an unbeliever. Mm -hmm. You have the Holy Spirit. And so the things that I'm going to talk about here are, are things that the Holy Spirit is actually committed to working out in our own hearts through every aspect of our life, including when we're sitting down and ministering to others through discipleship and counseling. So it's something like, like humility. You know, that's a seed that I definitely want to sow into the counseling process. Over the last 20 years of doing this myself, as I've sat with people who have been racked with terrible suffering or enslaved or what felt like enslavement to some very destructive sin patterns, uh, I think God has used the broken stories of people 
to crush to a large degree my tendency towards self-righteousness because I see in front of me someone who is a lot like me, uh, someone who we have a lot more commonalities in our walk in spiritual journey than differences. So it's created a humility that has helped me when I, I love when people come in and they feel uh, safe enough to share the most heinous things mm-hmm. that you could imagine. You know, I remember years ago, years and years ago, having a, an elderly gentleman come into my office. He was in his late seventies probably. And he had, uh, he, he was a former pastor, uh, but for the first time began to talk to me about a very particular sin that he was wrestling with, that he was not, I mean, he was literally trembling in front of me as he was beginning to disclose the things that he was wrestling with. Mm-hmm. And it was so beautiful in that moment, you know, he was, and I think he came from a denomination where you, you're supposed to have your act together if you're a minister. So he was shaking and terrified to talk to me about what was going on. And it was so powerful in that moment when he was expecting a lecture or he may have, may have been expecting me to look down my nose at him to just really embrace him with love and humility. Mm-hmm. And what I saw in that was the starting place of a man who, who was in his late seventies told that his struggle years ago had been told by psychiatrists that his struggle was caused by a disease. And for me to be able to, to step into this issue with him with great humility, joining him, reminding him, I, I have feet of clay just like you. And my only hope and your only hope isn't that you get over this sin, but it's Christ. It's a person. Mm-hmm. That began a healing journey over the next year with this man who said for the first time in his 70 some odd years, he felt like he, his mind had been washed with the holiness of God for the first time. And so just that humility and, yeah. and providing this context where this guy could let down his guard and really begin to, to have honest conversation with me was a very powerful component of sowing into the spirit. Yeah. And that's awesome. Yeah. Cause we, cause we know secrets, you know, bring destruction and isolation, you know, and those things when we can't share these things, I, I really believe that that's a way that the enemy can have that stronghold over us, you know, cause a secret can turn into more lies and almost having to be like a, you know, two different people in certain right. times and who that's knows right. kind of where that can go. And so, um, yeah, I love that, that we have kind of naturally putting a focus on just the freeing part of communicating mm-hmm. what we want to keep in private, you know, bringing that out yes, in the light. So as it relates to the means, you know, what, what we're actually as counselors sowing essentially comes from Galatians five, It does, you know, those that's pieces right. of the spirit really sowing the spirit, the work of the spirit. How does the spirit work through this process? And then it's like what we were just talking about a moment ago, humility, and then gentleness, patience, and then wisdom. And then ultimately through all of that is providing that service in that context to cultivate and grow in their sanctification, um, whether they're 70 or seven or whatever, wherever they are in that journey of uh, being able to, to do that. So as a farmer, we're focusing more on the scripture versus the skill. Yes. You know, uh, where the distinctive, again, uh, even going back to our last, our last series really quick on, you know, humankind and counseling is, you know, throughout this process is we're always, you know, you talked about a moment ago, having the kingdom that we're presenting a different kingdom. And there's a thought process with this kingdom, how we're to be the aughts of this kingdom, uh, the reality of we're growing into this kingdom as, as a person in this kingdom. Mm -hmm. Um, and just being able to walk through that and just knowing that it is 
about the the scripture of it and walking our people through that versus the skill. It's not about how great my skills are in helping bring about change, Mm -hmm. but realizing it's the skill of the Holy Spirit. That's his work. And that's why I love the analogy of the farmer, because that's really at the end of the day, that's all we have. That's right. It's God's power, God's will, God's ability. He simply calls us to simply take the word as it is and and give it uh, freely, lovingly, uh, holistically, and really in humility. Um, so with that, in terms of kind of how to's, how can we take these, uh, you know, these aspects of, okay, as the counselor, we're the farmer. So how can we begin to implement these counseling methods within, you know, a, a, a local church context um, in terms of helping them grow, giving them ideas and somewhat of a thought process, which uh, there's, there's some stuff in this chapter, chapter 13, that uh, kind of speaks to that. So, yes. Yeah, so what, what I did in this particular chapter was just really review the literature within the biblical counseling world and just extracted from that literature various methodologies that are things that we want to grow in as biblical counselors. And it's things that are common to many people just in their own Christian walk. For example, we always want to make sure that our number one aim in biblical counseling is to instill hope that's centered in the gospel of Jesus. Because it's so easy in in our current culture to get so focused on symptom relief or or overcoming a particular sin, it becomes all about that. And Jesus is a, a side note. The minute we begin to address our hearts in biblical counseling, we are going to come face to face with our finitude. We're going to come face to face with the reality that we have feet of clay. We're going to come face to face with the reality that as we enter spiritual warfare uh, through biblical counseling, our efforts will never be enough. We'll never arrive this side of heaven to be able to claim that that we've ultimately overcome. But what we do have is hope in the one who has already overcome, and that's Christ. So it's always important that the gospel, you know, if a person is growing in their faith and they're overcoming particular sin habits, then we celebrate the gospel because that's what's made that possible. If a person is failing and struggling and wrestling and stumbling, the first thing we need to be doing in the stumble and in repentance is celebrating the finished work of Jesus Christ upon the cross, because that's where we're going to ultimately find our hope. Yeah. You know what, here's, here's what I, here's what I want to encourage those who are listening out there is the fact that, um, the fruit that I see in intentional and intensive discipleship from the counseling model or those who are walking with that relationship is such key. So I get to share the gospel with them differently than if I just met someone. Here's how, because as they're sharing their story and what they're walking through, and I'm listening to that, I'm gathering data in a way that I'm asking questions of why they understand understand what they understand, why they believe what they believe, even if they're angry or have doubts against God or whatever they're walking through. I'm listening in a way that formulates the probing question um, and, and gathering that data. So then when I go and share that gospel hope or I share who Christ is to them, I'm speaking directly and meeting them where they are, if that yes. makes sense. Because yes. there's sometimes that they know all this stuff, but they're not really understanding how to then walk it out. And so I can jump in and encourage them. And even if I'm reminding them or sharing them, the good news in a different way, it's valid to where they are, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Versus just an error. So that's what's really cool is that relationship dynamic that you get to build in that discipleship and counseling room. Um, to, be, to be able to speak directly to it. Then when you start 
assigning homework assignments or, or guiding them through scripture or bringing in more of uh, speaking directly to what they're walking through. Um, it's not just this generic thing like, oh, this is the homework assignment I have if someone's walking through depression. It's more like understanding where are they at in their darkness and how can I speak directly mm. to them in that? Mm-hmm. And what's really refreshing, just to remind everyone out there that from a counseling and taking someone to the truth of scripture is, isn't as hard as it seems because in reality, the scripture speaks for itself. Like sit on that for a minute. Just let the scripture be the scripture. Do you know what I mean? Like sometimes I don't have to say anything, but just walk them through the passage. You know, Jeremy, you have on there, I think, um, creating maybe new habits or something on there. Let me see what you says. Identify a person's habitual response patterns and encourage new habits. Okay. So example, walking them through Colossians chapter three or Ephesians four of the put off, put on reading the scripture, asking them, what do they see out of this? How do you see this applying to your life? What have you already tried so far that has worked or not worked? And so all of a sudden I'm gathering what they've already been doing before I speak into what they should do, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But as a counselor, as far as a method is concerned, I think it's important for us to be that unemotional, just uh, that general view of new things they could start doing. So for instance, someone's like, I spend, I am getting so like social anxiety or lack of it from social media, or I'm spending too much time on TV and I really want to read my Bible and blah, blah, blah. So you're saying, you know, they need to put off doing this, but for you, you can have like a thought process of what they should put on. Do you know what I mean? Okay. You're going to stop watching TV. That's great. But what are you going to do in place of that time, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You're going to, you know, stop drinking alcohol. Okay. Well, when you get that craving, cause it's going to come, what can we already have prepared for you to drink to replace that versus just trying to eliminate that altogether? So you have the dynamic to, to be intentional in speaking into helping them replace those things, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, any thoughts on that? Yeah, no, that's good. And it's kind of going back to that takeoff put on, you know, some things in terms of taking off may require radical, radical change, radical uh, amputation, I think is the way that you put it in the mm-hmm. book, but just, you know, some things cause us to, and that's pretty much what Jesus says. And he's using hyperbolic language when he's talking about, if, you know, your left eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. But it's, so it's easy to know these things, but walking out is the hard part. So offering that accountability or helping them say, okay, who in the church right now do you feel comfortable with? to, to now go and reach out to and ask them to walk alongside you. So it's not just you, but you're encouraging them to build the additional support system, mm. you know? Yeah. And, and, and those words by Christ in terms of plucking your eye out, if it's causing to you to sin is it's a very powerful counsel when you're in the heat of the battle. Yeah. So for example, um, I've had many, many men who are married and allowed themselves to uh, move into an adulterous situation. And so now everything has blown up and they're sitting in my office looking at me, wondering what I need to do. And, and one of the first things that I always ask is, are you still in contact with the other woman? Most of the time they say yes. And um, so when you bring out this idea, Mm -hmm. if you want to listen to the wisest counselor on the planet, he would encourage you in this moment to radically amputate that situation. Mm -hmm. That means you have to call this woman up in my presence or in the presence of your wife, if she wants to be there and you have to verbally articulate, this is over after we hang up, your, your number will be deleted and we will no longer be in contact. And I've seen men just try to 
sugarcoat that and water that down and, oh, that's not the, the ultimate answer. And as long as they don't follow that counsel to radically amputate in that moment, they stay in the quagmire of emotional connectedness and spiritual confusion. Mm-hmm. But as soon as they, they amputate and they begin to do that from a true conviction in their own heart, then they begin to to walk the path of healing and true repentance. Yeah, that's You know, what's funny about that is, you know, if you were to ask any guy that you're walking through that, if <laughs> I actually had this one time, they're more concerned about the other one. Well, a similar situation, but I said, okay, so if you got into an accident and you tried to, and you, I mean, your, your legs broken, you get gangrene, it's getting mm. to the point where, you know, you, you don't want to lose your leg. You don't want to be hopping around on one leg and you try to do everything you can to keep that leg, but you realize the damage has been done so bad. There's no way to recover it. If you don't remove that, it'll take your life. Like, is it really, you know what I mean? So just spiritually speaking, that's essentially what Christ is saying is like those things, like you get yourself involved in some type of sin, like you try to keep it hanging on by a thread, so to speak, to kind of keep it in the background. You're not really confessing and repenting and the, the, the fruit of repentance would say, okay, not only am I going to, it starts with amputation then we can begin the healing process. Yes. And then moving forward. That's in that. right. So yeah, that's there's right. pain that comes from amputation. There's consequences. Absolutely. There's new therapy that you have to do after. I mean, this is a great analogy of like what that would actually look like. But mm. guess what? You're still alive, bro. That's right. Right. Like, and you're actually doing the will of God mm-hmm. and you're, you're healthy, whatever it takes, but it definitely starts with that amputation. That's good. That's yeah. good. So, yeah. So another, another part that would be important um, from a counseling method and what we want to sow is prayer. And, you know, there's a section here of just talking about, you know, us as the counselor um, or those that were walking in discipleship, you know, we want to pray for those that we're, um, that we're working with modeling the prayer in the room for them as well, but also mm-hmm. praying before and after your time with them. But one of the things that I've also found so important is teaching them how to pray for themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, I think even a part of the ABC counseling, there was someone, and I can't remember who it was, but actually spoke to writing your own lament. Was it Lee Lewis or somebody mm, yeah. Was it on our podcast maybe yeah. for the depression? And, um, and I think that is such a beautiful thing because obviously that's what we get to, to read in the Psalms, right? When David's crying out to the Lord and it should be the same for us. And, and what I'm, what I'm hearing a lot in the counseling room is, yeah, I'm, I'm having a conversation. I'm talking to the Lord, or we're just saying, Hey God, can you do this? But helping them see that there's so much more to prayer and the yes. importance of it and realizing, Hey, you're not just talking to me or someone else, like when you pray, like who we're praying to and teaching them the attributes of God, like all these things are such a privilege to be able to walk someone through in a way that allows them to then change the way that they live with the Lord too. Yes. And these little bitty things of new understanding is so essential to their growth. And as counselors in, in the church, we're able to be a part of their sanctification process. Mm-hmm. That's not somebody you want to just send out to the medical field like this. This is the essentialness of being able to live differently than the world. Yes. And and actually the exciting part about being a believer, like we don't have to put our hope in the world. Like the world is always going to let us down. People are always going to let us down, Mm -hmm. but we ultimately get to have our trust and confidence in God. Like that's exciting. Like I want to have more passion and hope for the person that I'm with for them. Like I want to give them that life. Like, let me be, let me be excited for what God has in store for you. And if you have to feed off that a little bit, when we first start, that's, that's Mm -hmm. fine. Mm -hmm. Um, But also from the fruit of 
is a spirit in which you kind of alluded to some of that in, in this chapter. You know, people think of that as like different fruits, right? But the Holy Spirit's one fruit, mm-hmm. fruit singular of the spirit. And so some people are like, oh, I, I need to pray for uh, joy and I need to have patience. I don't have any patience. Well, no, if the Holy Spirit's in you, you do. You have that fruit. So now it's about how are we not grieving it and tap into it in a way that the Lord allows us to fully walk in that. You yeah, know what I mean? It's like a difference in the shift of the prayer. Yeah, it's it's really, it's the economy of the fruit, right? Uh, in some instances, I may need to demonstrate my self-control through by providing patience or kindness or humility to a, a person or a situation or whatever the case is. So economically speaking, it's the way that I'm distributing this in this in this time and this, that, that's what the fruit of the spirit is. Because if you look in that chapter in context, he's talking, he's comparing obviously the, you know, the, the fruit of the flesh and uh, the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. And, you know, manifestively speaking, this is what it looks like when you're walking in the flesh. And then respectively, this is what it looks like when we're walking in the spirit by the fruit of the spirit. Well, this is the fruit of the spirit. Economically speaking, this is how it manifests itself in our lives. And so what we're doing as counselors is helping people realize how you cultivate that. And that's why I love the analogy of the farmer so much is because this is the how-to. We're sitting here talking about the how-to. The how-to is when we got somebody and we identify what's going on circumstantially in their mess and we can identify it and then we can expose it for what it is as the deeds of the flesh. Okay. You're, if you're in Christ, you're dead to that. So let's identify it. Let's expose it and let's restore it. Let's learn to walk in the spirit and learn how to exhibit and cultivate that fruit that's already yours in Christ. You just need to cultivate it like a farmer. Mm-hmm. So it's changing the seed in which we're implanting into, you know, the soul, a soul that's new as a new creation. That's a, that's a new spirit. That's a new heart. That's a new flesh that God says, I will give you a new, fl- I will give you a new heart, a heart of flesh. Well, if we use that in the analogy of the farmer, man, that that's, that soils of God. Mm-hmm. The child of God, that that soil is active. We just need to be active farmers mm-hmm. because the work will happen. Mm-hmm. And so effectively speaking, when we're talking with these counselees, that's that's the how to. We're helping them learn how to apply this to their lives. That's the how to. So it's, it's almost like this mega seed, you know, like playing <laughs> off the analogy of like this super cool plant that's being that's blossoming and each you know, it's like uh, the bloom, like a new bloom type of thing. And then it just continues to grow, grow, grow. It doesn't stop. Um, And so some people miss out on realizing that some of these trials and tribulations and the suffering that we're walking through can actually be a very beautiful thing. Like it sucks and it hurts. And I think that's why when we get to have that outside perspective of what someone else is walking through, we get to see that we know that God is up to something Mm -hmm. and we can speak and have the joy in that saying, I know that like I'm smiling when this is so horrible, but girlfriend, like I know God's got something going Mm -hmm. in this. Mm -hmm. And like you're saying, like depression's not rooted in sin. Like he can do something through this. So now here, here's two questions out there. Y'all, y'all can take this and, and utilize them in your ministry. But here's the two things. Like when I was walking through depression personally, I always ask God two questions like, Lord, like you're in control. So you're obviously teaching me something through this. So what is that? Mm. Like, how can I intentively be praying and listening and going to the Lord or other people if, as a using other people to, to, to speak into my life? What are you teaching me in this? And the second thing is, Lord, again, I can glorify you through this. My, my, I can glorify you. How can I glorify you through this? Let me say that question so someone can write this down in a way of saying, you know, Lord, if again, you're in control, you're allowing this to happen. Uh, and if my purpose here as a believer is to glorify you and to make you known, then I can do that even in this darkness. Mm-hmm. 
So one, one, what are you teaching me? And two, how can I glorify you through it? And I think that in our methods, we should always be giving these types of questions to those that we're discipling so they can not sit still in the suffering, that they can live abundantly through it. Does that make sense? Like yeah. the joy isn't made complete, like it's this aftermath sunshine, but it's more like, no, we can still have joy in the Lord even through it. And sometimes it takes people like us that 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 is speaking into those people's lives that allows them to see that. Mm. Right. Kind of like you threw me in the shower that one day, like get out of bed. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's just, it's interesting with that analogy of the farmer, because when we talk about, it's almost like when the counselee comes into our room and they begin to share what's going on in their circumstances. I, I know when I'm hearing that with these men, I'm hearing, okay, dude, guess what? Like, the, like what? And of course I'm thinking this, I'm not sharing this necessarily, but when I'm hearing this, I'm thinking to myself, like this very circumstance is actually the till that God is using to just, just work the soil of this, of this man's soul to, to bring in more of the gospel mm -hmm. uh, and helping them understand that. Um, but again, they're so quick to, like we've mentioned, even in the last episode and, and here and there in this episode is just, we want that alleviation from whatever the trial or, or circumstance is not really thinking about God's actually up to something that in God's sovereignty, he's allowed this to happen because he's producing something through it. Mm -hmm. That's not a, that that's not a message that most people want to hear when they're suffering, obviously. Right. So just again, when it comes to those methodologies is using scripture and not relying to on speak, skill. Yeah. To speak on it, to speak for itself. Right. Right. Yeah. So the, yeah. the skill is really becoming well-versed in scripture. It's no, so what makes a biblical counselor, a biblical counselor is knowing God's word and learning how to apply God's word appropriately to a person. Um, Let me also say though, too, like our podcast is speak the truth. But one of the things that stood out to me this past week was speaking life into other people. And what was really cool is, is during my time, like I remember there were so many women who didn't just text me, say praying for you, which obviously is amazing. Thank you. The big stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm saying like back in the day when I was going through a lot of the stuff I was walking in, you know, there's women that would text me be like praying for you if they'd see me, you know, praying for me. That's awesome. Right. Because you need as much prayer as possible. But here is a tip for those out there that was very, very encouraging to me is when those women took the time to either text or write out a prayer to me. And it doesn't even have to be profound, like even just taking a simple scripture and turning it into a prayer. Like you don't understand like how much life that gives someone. Like I read, 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 like I'm just continue to read it and meditate almost on their words because yes, obviously I was in the Bible, but sometimes I couldn't get myself to get there. And so to know that they were praying specifically for me was such great, you know, encouragement. Yeah. Empowerment for me to move on. And so, you know, so that being a part of this chapter, prayer is vital to counseling mm -hmm. for us as counselors to make sure that our heart is ready before we go to someone but also just trying to give everyone out there the perspective of the person who's being counseled, how much fruit that brings to the table as well. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Jeremy, you got any other thoughts? I love. All yeah. Of sorry. This. I think I might've talked a lot on no, this it's one. All right. It's very good. Very prayer is extremely important. And sometimes when you're counseling with people, you'll find yourself actually praying during the session for guidance um, Ooh, yeah. from the Lord himself. <laughs> you're like, oh, I didn't fully listen here because I was praying, but mm -hmm. you got this Lord. <laughs> and I think just one more thing to highlight is, is it regards methods. And this is a, a little bit different than maybe sitting in the counseling uh, situation with another person. But, you know, we're asking people to step into waters that may be intimidating to them. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that uh, I highlighted in this chapter was the importance of dialoguing with other counselors. 
counselors, other peers that are or, or friends that are doing the same kind of ministry work. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, "Where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors, there is safety." So, just knowing that as we're as we're stepping into this, uh, sometimes we're going to be walking in terrain that's very difficult. Sometimes we can maybe even feel a bit confused as to which way to go. I've been doing counseling for 20 years and I still find great uh, nourishment for my own soul to go to other counselors in our office and just begin to talk to them about the last session that I had where I felt like I was in over my head and just hearing from the other folks, what might you do in that kind of a situation and building and growing in the midst of those conversations. So I just want to help people to recognize when you step into this, you know, we've talked, I think in the last podcast about the importance of community Mm -hmm. uh, for the hurting, but those of us who are serving in this capacity also need to be walking in community to strengthen each other, to encourage each other, pray for each other, talk about, you know, when we're counseling, sometimes our own stuff comes to the surface based on what the other person is wrestling with or based on the other person's personality and to be able to talk through our own heart issues with others that are doing this kind of work. 100%. That's so good. Yeah, that's good. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. Today. Yeah, that is that is it on this podcast. We'll see you guys next time.